Hello again, welcome back, Graham Alcott, Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, happiness and success, life, the universe and everything, all that stuff. And on this episode, this is episode seven, we are talking to Amy Lee. Amy is a professional clown. So just to prove my, my devotion to Beyond Busy, after my recent illness, I'm sat in the shed on a Sunday afternoon. I really, like, I just don't work weekends. Like, I'm very good at, um, at not allowing work to creep into my weekends. Uh, but I've had Roscoe, our little boy, all weekend. We've been up at the Sea Life Centre today running around and all that sort of stuff. And I've just got a couple of hours where he's with his mum. I'm down in the shed and I'm recording little voice bits for you. So here we are. This is Amy Lee. If you listen to the last episode with Matt Burt from the Songs in Seven podcast, you'll probably already know that Matt is Amy's fiance and that he proposed on his podcast on Songs in Seven. Uh, and you'll find a link to that in the show notes to the previous episode. And, you know, it's just not often that you're sat in somebody's kitchen and you're having a cup of tea. So I was chatting to Matt and just kind of preparing for uh, the interview with him. And then Amy piped up with the information that she's a professional clown. And I seized on this and uh, we managed to arrange an interview. Uh, And it just felt like one of those amazing little things that just falls into your lap. From the very beginning of the idea of Beyond Busy as this podcast, I really wanted to interview people who had unique and interesting jobs and had kind of fun uh, job titles and stuff like that. And I think to be seven episodes in and having already interviewed an internet musician, uh, an Olympic gold medalist, an entrepreneur, a chief executive, it kind of feels like, yeah, like I've, I've ticked off some, uh, some good job titles in, uh, in these first few episodes. Uh, so I sat down with Amy after my interview with Matt and um, Amy is Jasp from the clowning duo Morrow and Jasp. And I'm sat here with Amy. And obviously the first question to ask is, do you have a business card that says clown on it? So here's Amy. Well, I have a business card with my clown face on it. Okay. It doesn't say clown, but the image gives it away. I think it's worth several years of, of learning clowning just to be able to have a business card. That and be says... Able, to be able to go to like a very serious networking event and give it out and say, hello, this is me. I'm a clown. Is, yeah. Yeah. Can you do that for me just so that just, happens? <laughs> just so we go. I mean, sometimes we, we do go out to into the world as clowns sometimes. Right, okay. Into, just down the, walking down the yeah, street and stuff. Yeah, yeah just because it's uh, interesting to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and sometimes people react, uh, they're surprised or they are excited. And sometimes people just completely, like it's, There's a clown. You know, what, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? We were actually just in Las Vegas to go see shows because yeah. we're, we're writing a new show and so we went to go you know take some Las Vegas theater in because uh, my, my clown partner Heather and I had never been and we also went with our director and dramaturg Byron who so the three of us always work together so we went on this trip to Vegas and we decided one day we had to go out and be clowns in Las Vegas cool. and uh, at first people were what we realized was there's so many people dressed up as characters there um, <laughs> who want to pose for a photo with you yeah. and then have you give them money. That's right. like their thing. They'll be like a really old school Minnie Mouse costume that you can tell is from like the 80s. <laughs> it's all worn down. Uh, and 
this person who's dressed as Minnie Mouse wants to get a picture with you and then have you shell over some, you know, some ones that you've that you've uh, won at the casino. And so people were afraid that we were wanting to do that with that them. for money. But then yeah. we were just doing our own thing. Yeah. And they uh, were interested. We were, we went into the casino and uh, a security guard came up from behind <laughs> and said uh, he sort of tapped me on the shoulder from behind and said uh, you can't we can't have people with uh, painted faces in here. And I turned around and we don't really have painted faces. We you know, we don't have white yeah. white face and like the big painted on you know, so a little bit of blusher I can see on this yes, uh, picture. Yes, you. you know, we have rosy um, cheeks and we have... But I'd say you'd have less less rosy cheeks than some other people's makeup in yes, the casino, it's, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I said, but I'm just wearing beautiful makeup <laughs> um, as my clown. And he was, he looked at me and he was kind of like, huh, yeah, I guess, <laughs> all right, well... I guess if anyone gives you trouble, just, uh, you're, I guess you're allowed to be here. <laughs> I was like, all right. So when so did you, just, when did you first know that you were a clown? Uh, oh gosh, that's Let a good ask. question. That's a big question. Um, well, I st- I actually, when I was a kid, I collected clowns. Oh, did you? Okay. Which is sort of strange. I didn't know why. It was just, that was the thing that I... Everyone, you know, I think has something that they yeah. collect, and that was my thing was clowns. Mine and was I'd... frogs. Yeah. And my sister's was pigs, and it was just we collected. Little, you know. There you go. My friends was turtles. Yeah. Yeah. Every everyone kind of has a thing, and mine was clowns. I just sort of inexplicably, and I had clown sheets and bedspread, but I did not think that that was going to be my future <laughs> at all. And I went to theater school. And planned on being a, I think both my clown partner, Heather, and I both thought we'd be like doing some sheer, serious Shakespeare. Didn't fancy ourselves comedians. Um, and then um, Byron, who I mentioned, um, had studied this type of clown in high school. He went to an art okay. school, um, often known as Canadian clown or Pachenko clowning. Okay. And so he he had he was interested in it, and he wrote this script for two male clowns. But then he saw us do a piece together because Heather and I started working together, and we were in a collective creation program, so perform creating and performing work. And were you Heather, performing at that point more kind of straight acting work? Or was it comedy? What, what was the... Mostly straight acting, but Heather wrote a piece for the two of us to perform at our student, at our university student-run theater festival right. that was very character-based. So we, we played these two sisters and we each became these, like, I played an old man and a, and a jaded guy who'd been out of jail and a sort of washed-up uh, lady and all these different characters and and she also played a number of really fascinating characters and that was new for us to mm. do something like that but we loved it and he saw that and went huh and so he approached us and said would you be interested in trying some clown yeah. to maybe do at next year's festival 
And we said, sure, why not? So At that point, we were saying yes, you know, said yes to everything. Right. I was a theater student, yeah, so yeah. you want to hear. And that's the deal at that point right like yeah you better try things out and work out and see what where you, where you fit in the world and, and how it's going to be exactly of. yeah exactly and so we said yes and we started we hired someone to to teach us clown his name is pete jarvis he's often he's known here and in different places in the world as silver elvis he's a dresses up all in silver and he does the sort of stop um motion statue like okay. human statue he's incredible um and is that just on the street in toronto or yeah he does yeah. it okay. um all over i mean he, he does events as well but he's he's an amazing man um and he studied with richard pachenko and mm. uh so we hired him to to teach us and and then we just kind of kept kept going and we yeah and we applied to the Fringe Festival here in Toronto, and we applied to the to the General Fringe and the kids' venue. We got into the kids' venue, so we thought, okay, we'll do a kids' show. And then the same thing happened the next two years, and then we eventually um, got into the General Festival, So we and we had an idea for a more adult show. Mm. And our clowns were, with each show, gradually growing up each right. time. Right, okay. And so... <laughs> the the question you asked was when did you realize you were a clown and it was it was a very slow realization mm. i would say because even those first few years i was kind of like okay i'll keep doing this until i get my you know my like serious acting work and then there came a point where i realized that this is my this is my thing yeah yeah I, well i and and then uh, do you think you can, so do you think the medium of clowning can be something that is delivering a serious message? Oh, yes. And then at the same time, uh, did was your realisation around that the same as you realising that, okay, now I'm taking this way more seriously than I thought and it's like, this is the thing? Well, it was, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we can do with our shows is it and and one of our goals is always to sort of find the the things that are hiding in the dark corners Mm. and and shine a light on them in in society and and laugh at them and and bring them out into the open and kind of go okay we all have this pain or fear or worry um and let's celebrate that that we're human and that's part of who we are and and that's what we feel like we can do as 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 clowns is really um, share those things and connect with people through that and and make them laugh and make them feel mm. um, and that's always our goal. And I started realizing too because I I did other shows and I still do, but people like friends of mine and audience members would get a lot more excited about the clown like our clown shows than about these other yeah yeah they were like but i really loved that (laughs) this show that you did and i was starting to well this is something that is really speaking to people we all realize that because we even before we did so we did three kids shows in toronto and then we had this idea for them to do a show about going through puberty Mm. because we thought that they could approach that topic in a way that would be really 
honest and hilarious. And, and it's was this first of all a kids show as well in terms of teaching kids about you're going to no, get this? This was an adult This was an adult start. show. And we, we really imagined it as females who are our age will be the, the people who will get this show. Right. Because it's, it's a look back. We call yeah. it a hilarious look back at the best period of your life. <laughs> and, um, and, and so we did it in Winnipeg and it went well and uh, people, it wasn't just females our age, it was, a, it was a larger audience that was relating to it because obviously older women have also mm. gone through this and men have wives and sisters and mothers and, and people who, you know, have this experience and daughters yeah. who have this yeah. experience. So we, it was reaching a bigger audience than we'd anticipated. And so when we brought it to Toronto the next year, we kind of said, we, we workshopped it after Winnipeg and we felt really good about it. We all kind of really loved it. And so we said, we think this is pretty great, but We've been at this for, you know, four years now. If this, if people don't really like this here, then maybe it's time for us to move on. Because mm. if, if people don't really like this thing that we think is great, then maybe we don't get what people like. Um, so when the show was successful, it was really exciting for us to go, okay, we think that this is funny and other people also think this is funny. So to be able to know, because I think that's such, an, such a huge thing as a performer or an artist or a communicator of any, type, of any kind going, are the thoughts that I have in my head the same ones that other people have? Yeah, completely. And yeah. so um, that was a, an interesting, interesting moment. And also it's not necessarily the ones that you think are the best thoughts being yeah. the ones that the audience think are the best thoughts. Yeah. And you can ha you can be roughly right, but there yeah. might be certain parts of it that are just accentuated by the audience as opposed to you and vice versa, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. the audience teaches us so much. Mm. Like, really, that's how we've learned, you know, the main... We've taken a lot of clown workshops, but the, our main learning has been just through doing for 11 years together, so... Yeah, and so your your clown duo is Morrow and Jasp. Yes. Uh, how did you come up with the names? Um, <laughs> well, it's uh, the typical clown way of coming up with your name is sort of finding it yourself and discovering right. it. But the um, unexciting, well, it's not that unexciting, but it, the truth, the true, true truth is that Byron, when he'd written this script for the two male clowns, had named them Morris and Jasper. Oh, okay. And so they got transformed into Morrow and Jasp. But we have since discovered that there is, in Alberta, there's Jasper Park. And there's a Morrow Peak in Jasper Park. Which, oh, no way. Yeah. Which we think is pretty well, Byron wonderful. didn't know this when... He's come up with his two, the two names. No. Kind of so no. you are Jasp. I'm that's, Jasp. That's your, your yes. clown alter ego. How does Jasp differ from you and, and which parts are different and which parts are the same? Hmm. Well, so one of the things with clown is you, you kind of take what you have within you and you exaggerate it. And maybe it's, maybe it's the opposite or maybe it's something that you do have. 
So everything comes from somewhere within me, but Jasp is a lot bossier than okay. I am. She's very, very <laughs> bossy, uh, very controlling, um, pretty edgy, can be quick to anger. Um, what do you mean by edgy? Uh, she, well, she can be soft, but she's, she can be easily irritated by Moro. <laughs> right, okay. And uh, by things not going her way. She likes for things to, to go. She always has like a plan and a dream and it's very grand mm. and she wants it to come true and she will fulfill that. So she's, she's quite direct. And Which is a great character trait to then set up narratives between the two yes that, right? because moro is is um a free spirit yeah uh, quite different from jasp and and likes to play and be in the moment and can be pretty destructive um like physically she loves to make a mess and jasp likes things to be tidy right, and okay. clean and so there there's always there's always something to go wrong uh, and looking around your house, like, I mean, your front room is beautiful. Thank and your, you. Your books are very neatly stacked on the bookshelf there as well. So <laughs> is this Jasp's house? No, no, this isn't Jasp's house. Jasp's house would be, um, it would be a lot girlier. Okay. Um, I realize we have purple accents, but Jasp's purple would be a lot uh, more of a sort of pastel, very girly purple and blue is her blue pink purple are her colors and right but i guess what i'm trying to get to with that question is like how much do you think like jasp and how much because you said it kind of comes from yeah everything's coming well from there, than you, but. yeah that's a that's a good and difficult question because you know jasp is me at the end of the day but but when i when i put the nose on it's true my thought you know my thoughts can sort of shifts a little bit yeah. and the way that I behave does that experience of putting on the nose changes my m- mindset just that habit of doing that over the years it's yeah. like we as soon as the nose goes on we become you know we become the characters that's our always our commitment um and so how much do I think like Jasper? I'm still not really answering that question um very much and very differently, I suppose, <laughs> which is, uh, and I think it depends on, <clears throat> depends on the day and it depends on yeah. the moment. Are there um, situations in like normal life where you would love to be, you'd love in a second to be able to put the nose on and, <laughs> you know what I mean, have jazz yes. describe stuff and it's like, I'm going to hold back. Because I'm Amy. Right. Yes, absolutely. Jasp is much more forward and direct yeah. than I am. So tell me about a couple of those. Or just oh you know. gosh, I mean, <laughs> I was at a store the other day, and so, and suddenly this lady was like pushing me out of the way, and then I looked, and she was shaking her head like, "How dare I stand in her way?" <laughs> and I paused, and then I went, "I didn't see you there." <laughs> And she looked back and shook her head because I was like, I have to say something. This isn't, you know, that's like a, it's a tiny thing. But she, she was acting like I was ruining her world. Mm. And normally I'm, I, I mean, I have a little bit of both in me, but you know, the desire to right the wrongs of the world, I think I express more through Jasp than probably myself. Mm. 
Um, and Heather talks about that too. She she often, especially because Moro is very free, she has so much fun when we're out in the world being clowns. She, it's like this this liberation for her. Whereas sometimes for me, Jasp is a lot more uptight right. than I am. So it's not it's not the same level of fun, but it's but it's interesting. Like when we were in Las Vegas, I and we were in character, Jasp was um when a group of guys would pass by, she would sort of um cat call them a little mm, bit. Right. Um, which I would never do nor have any interest in doing, but it's sort of this thing where it's like this group of guys that you know would, if they saw a beautiful girl walking by, would probably say something to them. And I thought, well, I need to, being a clown here in Las Vegas, I have to flip this on its head, and which is something that's quite fun to do. Cause, cool. And they're not used to being catcalled and by a clown is like a strange experience but <laughs> it was wonderful it makes me laugh very hard yeah and i don't know loads about clowning but i've heard um do you know the comedian Stuart Lee? do you know of him he's a uk i know i know of him but i i've never heard yeah so I, i'm a big fan of Stuart Lee, and he his a lot of his comedy is very thoughtful and uh he plays a lot with the persona of Stuart Lee versus Right. You know, versus, you know, the character of Stuart Lee versus him as a person and the differences and stuff. And um, I think a lot of his stuff, I've heard him talk about medieval clowning and him visiting parts of the south of France where there's like these villages where the medieval clowning culture was that there would be one day a year where the clown would go around the village and go around to the different uh, sort of professions or parts of the village. So they would go to the baker and sort of, you know, just take the piss out of the baker and then right. go to the government building and take the piss out of the government and you know and the whole yeah. thing is like it's that one day where you're allowed to sort of break all the rules and tear the rule book up and right and just be and just totally shine that spotlight as you're saying before onto societal norms or right. things that are not quite right or whatever and call out things yeah. that um sometimes perhaps don't get called out and to be able to do it in a in a <clears throat> coming from i mean Clown is is coming from innocence, mm. whereas like Buffon is coming, you know, can be more aggressive. Um, but the the clown observes with innocence, which is another how they get away with saying certain things that other right. regular okay. people couldn't say. Yeah. And when we first started, people had said to us, "Don't wear the nose. Don't do it. It's gonna." Be, your lives are going to be difficult if you mm. take off the noses and you'll have a, such an easier time. Like um, career-wise and financially or just in yeah, terms of reception or why? All of it. And why? Because there is a huge stigma right. <laughs> around clowns and and there's people who have just an idea of what clown is in their mind mm. and they dis, they've decided that they don't like it. Um, whether it's a bad experience they had with a birthday party clown when they were a kid, whether it's, you know, having gone to McDonald's and being forced to sit on Ronald's lap as a kid, which I was, right. which I, yeah. I remember crying, do, crying, someone sitting me on Ronald McDonald's lap and crying because it was just like, it felt not yeah. right. <laughs> um, and so... So basically you've got awkward 
birthday parties, Ronald McDonald's, and then and, you've got horror movies. Horror movies, yeah. And so um, all of those things contribute to a lot of negative associations with right. it. And I remember, as I said, I had a room full of clowns as a kid, and then going to a friend's birthday party. Her birthday was on Halloween, <laughs> and we were pretty young, must have been about 10 years old, and I arrived a little bit late, and they had started a scary movie night. Right. And the movie, Stephen King's It was on, yeah. and I remember <laughs> coming in and just a few minutes into sitting there seeing this horrifying Pennywise the Clown coming up from a sewer drain with his, like, you know, sharp teeth and bloody mouth, and it was just awful. I ran out of the room. And I said, you guys can keep watching, but I can't. And I, <laughs> I was traumatized for years and probably still am a little bit. Mm. I, don't, I don't like to watch horror movies because that experience was so, had such a huge ef- effect on me. Um, and so I completely understand where that's coming from. But the unfortunate thing is that is not what clown, the spirit of clown truly is right. yeah completely. It's, just, it's been used for these different so do you feel like you're on a mission to re-educate people about the art form of clowning i mean it's like if you're a stand-up comedian people yeah. will have had positive experiences with another stand-up comedian yeah and there's a path already been trodden for you as a new stand-up comedian to do that with clowning you yeah. always have the doors already slammed and you're going to push them open again do yes. you feel like that's a mission for you. Yes, it is. It's be. It's definitely become that. Um, we have a little um, mini documentary on YouTube where we go to the streets um, in Toronto and interview as more on Jasp and talk to people about their thoughts on clown and you know in order to bring to light the way the different ways that people feel about it and some people have really positive. Feelings and some people will come to our show just because we're clowns, but that's a lot fewer than the number of people who will not come right, because yeah, we course, are clowns. Yeah. And you don't need everybody to come, but you need enough people to be yeah. coming for that reason. And here in Toronto, we've developed a, at this point, a, you know, a, an audience base, and and so people will come because they know of of us, but also we want to encourage you know other people to go see other clowns and take a take a chance. I mean it's hard because if you see a clown that is not great clown, it can be really difficult. It's like it's like um, bad improv because mm, yeah. the performance and the performers are asking a lot of you. And so you want your audience to feel really really um safe yeah. in your hands, I think. Um you know Sometimes, of course, challenged a little bit, but that's that's okay. Challenged in a good way, um, but uh, I it's 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 tough because people don't know what they're walking into. They don't they don't get it. They don't have a frame. Most people don't have a frame for what they're about to walk into. We were doing a show um, last spring, and and a friend of mine came with a, a new boyfriend, right? And she told me that she hadn't told him she said we're gonna come see this show tonight and he he was like what is it and she's like oh this is a show, oh, it's it's a show. Yeah. yeah 
And then just before, and they were out for dinner, just before the show, and he said, so what is this show? And she's like, well, my friend is, uh, it's a clown duo. And he was like, what? <laughs> and he was not excited about it. And then they came to the show and he loved it. Right. And I understand why those people, <laughs> they were performers who, who had done clown, who were the ones who said, take off the nose. Mm. Because you can still, there are tons of clowns in the yeah. world who perform without the nose. We see them all the time. You know, like, I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen is a, I mean, some of his characters are clowns and others are buffons, but no one would categorize that in their minds. Well, that's fascinating because I'd not made that connection, but yeah. Oh yeah, he studied yeah. with Philippe Gaulier, who's one of the big clown teachers. Wow. Um, and so did Helena Bonham Carter yeah. and Emma Thompson studied with Gaulier as well. They're trained as clowns and if you watch their performances they are clown performances but people don't so, think so, about that so the character Borat for example is like he has Borat. he has a an innocence lens right in a lot of what so he's shining yeah. a light on weird things a lot of the early Borat stuff before the movie yeah in the UK was kind of him going to going to dinner with the upper classes and and not knowing know, how to hold a wine glass yeah, properly. Yeah, it's like, so the, the joke is, like, he's from Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. and it's like, we've got to teach the Kazakhstani people how to have good etiquette through right. Borat. Yes. But of course, when he's there, he's shining a light on the pretension and... Yes, exactly. And, and Ali G is also, uh, mm. you know, a very, very <laughs> innocent not smart so he asks the dumb questions he asks dumb questions yeah yeah. but he's he's you know he's putting out our like you know just playing with assumptions that we have yeah whereas Bruno I would say is more is a bouffant because he really pushes right um, right really really pushes people in um, in a different kind of way it's not as innocent yeah, but no one, although he was recently on Mark Marin talking about all of these things. Mm. And, and they had a whole discussion on Clown versus Buffon, which was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So to you, that's like the best podcast ever. I well, it's like pretty exciting because yeah, yeah. you don't tend to hear that. And, so and it's on Mark Marin's WTF podcast. Yes. If, uh, if, for listeners who don't know that podcast, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's a great podcast. He talks about all, I mean, all of his hilarious wild unbelievable experiences of filming his his movies and how they got certain footage but this discussion on clown that they have is pretty amazing because it will reach a lot of people Mm. who probably didn't necessarily know that that's the world that he's that he's coming from it'll help you down that path it'll help us down that such a huge audience yeah exactly yeah um but you know he doesn't wear a nose and so people People don't make those associations. Right. And the reason we chose to wear the nose is um, it's a reminder to people that we're playing. And we, I, we think that we can get away with things that we wouldn't get away with if we didn't have the yeah. nose. Yeah, And it's always, it's always a reminder that this is a, this is a game. Um, so play and games, yeah. you know... Uh, probably lead me quite nicely into the opposite of that, which is hard work. Yes. Uh, that was one of the things that Matt said is just that you work incredibly hard. Yeah. So uh, I'd love to know a bit more about that. And also the show that you talked about before. Um, yeah, let's start with this. So the show that you talked about before about 
puberty. Yes. You took that show to Edinburgh. Yes. And we were talking just before we press record around the economics of Edinburgh and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So let's just talk a little bit about that. And then I want to get into yeah. the, the less than glamorous side in terms of hard work. As right. Well. Yes. Um, so Edinburgh is, um, it was, it was something that we just wanted to do. I think we felt like we needed to do it almost a, a bucket list obsession. Yeah. Um, and do I need to, cause I'm from the UK, so I don't need to explain the Edinburgh festival to me. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it known worldwide? Is it worth just saying, what, what is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, just in, it, in a few words? It's the largest performance festival in the world, and it features uh, stand-up comedy, theatre, poetry. What are yeah, the different it, categories? Music as well. Music, and, yeah. Well, and yeah. during, it, it goes on during the Edinburgh Festival, yeah. which has a whole, there. like there's the theatre festival with the big, giant productions, and um, and there's the tattoo going on at the same time, and there's the music festival and book festival. All. So it's so crazy. The, it's crazy. Yeah. The city is just um, madness. Yeah. I'd been there bef- to Edinburgh before, and it was a completely different experience going during the festival. It's it's pretty magical. Yeah. Um, so you took your show there. What year was that? Just this past summer. Just okay. So yeah, just, okay. 2015. Cool. Yeah, it's for the month of August. So the festival, the French festival runs for a month. And you can, it is possible to not do the whole month, but it's not recommended. Yeah, and most people go there and it's like you work for three or four weeks straight. Yes, we had six, one six day nights, off. Or seven nights a week with one day off in the middle. We did one day off wow. the entire festival for four weeks, yeah. Did, did you go mad? I mean, were you, uh, you go along with it? We didn't go completely mad but it was um it was a roller coaster yeah of emotion definitely because it's exhausting um because not only are you <clears throat> doing your show every night but you're promoting your show you have to get people in the door and of course our best way of doing that is to go out as Moro and Jazz right of course um because then they know what they're getting right away yeah um and you're doing presumably a little bit of that education along the way right so even with a sophisticated edinburgh crowd there's yeah. going to be people who are there for stand-up or there for yes. something else and oh, absolutely what's this and absolutely yeah. so it's a lot of promotion and also <clears throat> you're doing interviews in the days and right. trying to go see shows too because yeah. there's incredible theater there and also we were writing a blog and keep you know just keeping things going so it's 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 constant. It's constant, and, it, and it's well documented that it's difficult to make money from Edinburgh. Um, so tell yes. me about that and the contrast of that, perhaps with other French, French festivals, festivals around the world. Yeah, well, so everything just gets hiked for, mm. during the festival. Um, like getting married, I suppose. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Hat, as soon yeah. as you put wedding cake, yeah. wedding in front of the word cake, the cake <laughs> becomes ten times the price, and so. You know, like we we would go to the same printer every day because you you get your reviews come out and then you print them and then you staple them onto your postcards. And so we'd go to these same guys every day and they were very hilarious locals. And at one point we told them what we were paying for for rent and they just could not believe it. But it's, you know, standard to pay during the festival. We shared a flat with... um, three to four other performers and uh and 
yeah, expensive rent, mm. expensive theater rent. And then you've got to pay for your, um, well, we hired a publicist, which is really... So theater rent, so you rent the space for that hour of the performance, right? Is that how that It's works? sort of a package. Okay. <laughs> Essentially, you're renting for the the time from, from the theater. Who also has to, like, I mean, you don't just get to rent any space. You have to apply to different venues because the venues curate who yeah. they're going to put in the festival. Um, you know, but they're not... Um, some shows they will produce if it's a big name. Like we were there, it was the Gilded Balloons big anniversary, 30th anniversary. Um, so they had a whole bunch of big big names there. So they brought some of those people in. Right. Um, but m- the majority of people are paying for their for their rent, and it's a it's a it's a good chunk of change. Yeah. Um, and. We are paying for our flights and for a technician to run the show. I could, if I had my, you know, I've got our Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Um, What was your, did you have a sort of um, budget in mind of this is how much it's going to cost for the whole thing? Yes. Um, Oh, yes. We we were quite meticulous about that. And we worked with a producer, wonderful producer, Derek Chua, who has produced there a number of times before. He's from here, but he... And he's producing some shows there this summer. So if someone well. wants to do a show like that, what would what cost would be at the end of that spreadsheet on the total line at the bottom? I mean, really, it depends on on how you do it. But for for us, it was over thirty thousand dollars. Right. So uh, fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds UK on similar kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, that's yes, so big money. It's and did, big money. Did you do crowdfunding? We did. Yeah. yeah, we did crowdfunding. It was the first time we'd done it. Although years ago, I was just remembering this, years ago, because we used to have fundraisers all the time for our shows. Right. And one year <laughs> before crowdfunding, we decided to have a, we called it a couch potato fundraiser. Okay. Um, and through PayPal, we just sent out a email to our mailing list and said, we're doing a couch potato fundraiser, so you don't have to come to the event. You just okay. can donate money. And then, you know, that was that was just before crowdfunding hit. So it was our first official crowdfunding campaign, and uh, it was amazing um, to s- the support that we got. I mean, I, I myself do any time pretty much a, an email comes in for a crowdfunding campaign, I donate because... It's a little bit for me, and it, it's a lot for whoever. That's the beauty of crowdfunding. Yeah. But it still amazed me every time someone donated, and people that I didn't know would donate, you know, a very generous amount, and 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 people that I did know, and it was just um, it was quite amazing. And and we did our show here at the Toronto Fringe just before we left, so we used that as a a fundraiser as well mm. um, to to raise money because there's the difference at the Toronto fringe. We can raise money to take ourselves to the Edinburgh fringe, (laughs) which is sort of hilarious, but that's how it, that's how it works. So it's like Canadian artists subsidizing UK art. Right. Yeah. 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 But, um, 
it was really wonderful to do this show here because we had done it in Toronto in 2009. And so to come back in, in 2015 and do it was, was really... Because that was the first show that sort of got people to pay attention to us really mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And so to come back with it was really, really fun. So obviously after interviewing Amy, I had to go back and do the retrospective research about Moro and Jasp. And it turns out that they're critically acclaimed as well as award-winning. And I feel like Amy was being a little bit modest during the interview about the successes that they'd had and, and um, uh, really the, the cult following and status that Morrow and Jasp has in Canada and particularly in Toronto. And there's also some videos up on YouTube. So my personal favourites are the trailer for Morrow and Jasp Do Puberty. Uh, that's a lot of fun. And also... Uh, there's a really good one where they just smash plates in a garage for about a minute and a half. It's it's strangely satisfying. Uh, and I think if you're having a bad day, that's probably a good place to uh, to just go and retreat to for a couple of minutes. Uh, just I think if you just YouTube Morrow and Jasp smash plates, you'll find it pretty easily. Uh, you can find it more at morrowandjasp.com and also check them out live if you get a chance. I think I'm always really inspired by people who just work really hard to put something creative out into the world, particularly in a niche area like this where there's just a real belief in the need for the work to exist. And it's not about doing it for fame or money, but you know, doing it because you really believe in the work. And I just think there's loads that entrepreneurs and leaders can learn from from that kind of attitude. And and I think you know, I mean, this this episode does not have a commercial sponsor, and I th- I feel like the sponsor for this show should be if you come across people who are working really hard to put interesting things out into the world, support them. Go and help those people to do that. And I think life would be pretty boring and pretty ordinary if all those people like Amy just gave up what they were doing and went and got jobs as accountants or something. No offence if you're an accountant, obviously. Uh, So go and support interesting people doing interesting stuff. You know, fund their crowd funds. As Amy says here, it's like if someone asks me for a crowdfunding donation, I I just always give because I know what goes into that and it's a small amount for me and loads for someone else. And I just think that's a really good attitude to take into this. So um, that is the commercial uh, sponsor of this podcast is basically go and support good people doing good things and trying their hardest to put good stuff out into the world. Uh, So that's my little commercial break. So let's get back to Amy. As I said before, I was just really grateful the fact that she cleared her schedule to do this. I think she had some kind of meeting on Skype, which ended up getting getting cancelled. And uh, both her and Matt were just so generous with their time. It was a really, really great afternoon. So without further ado, back to the rest of the interview with Amy Lee. And it sounds like you've had good critical acclaim. You've got a fan base. Yes. And so what's what's next for you in terms of what? where would you want to take it And in terms of... Is there a point where it's like, that's success for me or that's where I want to be? No, no, there's all, it's just, it's just a journey always. Mm. I mean, I am very, very grateful. And every, every time we do something, it's like, this is the best, this is the best. And this is the best. It will ever, it will never get better than this. That's what I said after we did the Toronto Fringe, we did puberty in, in 2009 here, which went really well. We were we got these incredible reviews and our shows were selling out and and I said it won't to me it won't get better than this mm. but um 
we can, I just want to, I want to keep going, you know, and, and you want to keep pushing and, and seeing, you know, if you can reach more people and challenge yourself as an artist and challenge people in new ways. And, and is that about gratitude? I mean, it just seems like a, that surprises me that part of your mentality is it will never get better than this. Cause isn't there something about art and striving to want to yeah of course I mean so it's it can... about gratitude for you and sort of re- like really trying to enjoy the journey rather than looking for a destination sort of thing I you know of course there is part of it that is that it it does feel like there is you know sort of this this mountain that you're climbing up but knowing that there is no there's no top there's no end it's mm. I know that like I, I'm sure Brad Pitt doesn't feel like he's made it. I mean, probably in some senses he does, but that's then like life is over, you know, when you've yeah. hit your goal. So it's just kind of about deciding for us, like what is the next thing we want to do? And then we, and then we do that mm. and move towards that. Um, just for that reminded me of um, Elizabeth Gilbert's. Have you seen Elizabeth Gilbert's Ted talk about, she did. Creative a genius. It's the one. So there's two. There's one. They're both brilliant. But the two I've seen is one where it's kind of the genius and the demon and all I that. I love stuff. that one. But the other one that was that is was the one that sprang to mind, which was she'd just written Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. It had come out. It'd been a huge bestseller around the world, and it was her grappling with the idea that her best work was now behind her. Right. And just that whole thing. Yes. I probably won't write another book that will have that. Much yes. of a profound effect on people and stuff. Well, and that and that's the thing. I remember when Jennifer Lawrence won her Oscar right after she's in the press room and someone, a journalist, says, do you feel like you've peaked? And she's, what was she, oh, 23 when she won her Oscar? <laughs> and she, you know, in her wonderfully honest way, was like, I hope not. <laughs> um, because you don't want to, you don't want to feel like you, you... You know, the best is behind Mm. you. But knowing that, I guess it is, it is an, a striving towards constant gratitude, a state of that, because that is, I think I read somewhere gratitude gives you more endorphins than anything else. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to have incredible parents who taught me that as well, just to constantly be be grateful and of course sometimes that's tested of course it is you know being in edinburgh and flyering in the rain and going oh we have a canadian comedy award and a dora (laughs) award and we're a big deal at at home just come see our damn show you know um of course there's those Mm. there's lots of those moments and there's a lot of stress that comes with it for sure but i think you know trying to enjoy the journey is is really the most important thing and knowing that we there's a lot of things we want there's a lot of things we want to have and we want to make and we want to do and we want to reach more people because it's so enjoyable to to reach people so we want to keep doing more of that and so we're looking for more platforms to reach more people because and platforms to um keep sort of feeding the people who want us to be yeah. giving them something. Um, but I think that's hugely inspiring to have that, but then also to have this mentality of gratitude and that's the best thing, you know, yeah, best thing that will ever happen. And yeah. Think about it in that way. 
and and it was really interesting because we after that show happened a couple of years later we the next the next year we put on another show which also did very well we don't you know i think we don't think it's as strong of a play but that's okay it was <laughs> the next show we made and yeah. and people enjoyed it and then we were we were doing an independent mounting of that show and we really wanted producers to come and and we wanted people to come and pick up our show that's like a big thing here is also cuz just of the monetary fact, <laughs> factors yeah. you know if a theater can pick up your show and help produce it so you can actually you know make a tiny tiny weekly salary off of it then that's wonderful um and so we did this show and and none of that happened and we kind of went well that's disappointing but you know what let's just say screw it let's just keep let's just make things that we think are great and that our audiences will think are great and that inspires to do and we'll just keep producing them ourselves and and then we made a show that we thought it was completely ridiculous and we called it our love show because it was just born out of love (laughs) and ridiculousness it was Mm. a it was our cooking show right and it started as a 15 minute piece for a festival and then it was a 30 minute piece at a festival and at that festival which is called the next stage festival which is part of the toronto toronto fringes curated winter festival it sold we sold out our run on the second day and so we decided encouraged by a friend to mount it at another venue who was kind enough to co-produce it with us and they had a kitchen we needed it to be in a kitchen so we, we did it and we just had so much fun and we loved it and we made a big mess and we made people laugh and we <laughs> laughed ourselves and it was wonderful. And and that's the show that we ended up, we were nominated for three Dora Awards, which are the Toronto Theatre Awards, um, which I had, you know, of course, dreamed of winning a right, Dora Award yeah. when I was younger. And we, we won a Dora for it wow. and uh, for best performance by an ensemble and and is that that's where the cookbook came from right and that's where the cookbook came from so all these things came out of this show that we made not to impress anyone but just because we it was the show that was in our hearts yeah and and i i think that was a really wonderful reminder and lesson that you know if you enjoy doing what you're doing then I think good things will have that's of course that's not always the case nothing is guaranteed but for us this show that we made just purely out of delight not thinking about how it would be critically acclaimed or anything like that ended up you know yeah doing these wonderful things for us that that and people can get the book online presumably it's called eat your heart out yes with Mara and jess yes can get it on our website or amazon yeah yeah. And we'll put a link in, in there to that as well. Oh, great. So in terms of some of those big highs, I'm interested, what are the lows? So, mm. you know, Matt said you worked really, really yes. hard and, and, you know, that's yeah. something that just 
came through from him as something that he really admires about you, but right. also something that I think he was perhaps keen to stress because it's like you perhaps don't think of a clown right, as, as working, working hard really hard or having stress or yeah. having difficulty in the work. So tell me about that. The other, the other side. Yeah, well, I sometimes would joke to Matt that I work, we work CEO hours for like peanuts pay. <laughs> um, because it is, you know, it's, we are very driven, I think. Um, and, and so, of course, the more you work, the more work you create, mm. I think. Um, and so, but there's also, Things always come up, you know, there's grants, there's deadlines, there's a show to be made and produced and there's so many things because we often self-produce or doing everything. Um, you know, we're running a website and we're, um, and sometimes not particularly well because I, you know, I wasn't, none of us were trained as web developers or, you know, market marketers or you know tell, tell me about it graymalcott.com is a disgrace <laughs> <laughs> I, totally, I totally agree with you. yeah and it's it's hard to you know it's a lot there's just constantly things to think about but I mean that's part of it is like it, the work that exists is the work that we create we yeah we just went on vacation both Heather and I and it was good being away and remembering that like the world doesn't fall apart if we leave this for a little while. I mean, we did work really, really hard uh, January, February, March in order to set up these two weeks where right. we could yeah. just leave things and everything would be okay. But, you know, there there are so many people who've started things and and they've and they've. I don't want to say fallen apart, but they've dissolved since. And and we're really proud of the fact that we've made, you know, we've made it to 11 years of of doing this together. Mm. And it, it is, it's, it is constant, it's constant work, it's constant brain power. Yeah. Um, because we need to do that in order to, to sort of stay afloat. Um, especially if we want this to be our, you know, become sort of our main source of, of income and our main job, which, which we do, you know, if we kind of let it, let it slide, then it's certain that will not, no one's going to make anything happen for us. So you've got to keep spinning the plate, keep you, keep the, the yes. sort of the name and the brand and everything in people's minds. Yes. And, yeah. And it's, stuff. yeah, it's constant. I mean, it's funny Heather was talking the other day about how she heard someone talking about social media and how you become successful at social media is you have to be obsessed with it and and naturally <clears throat> she and I are not we're no. not we're not we we like to you know be in the moment and sit with friends and not have our phones out and mm. we're not really those kinds of people and so it I is. Think it's, it's one way. It's not the only way of yeah. making a success. And we do. Thing. We do have, um, you know, a successful. And you know, it's not the numbers aren't massive, but like for a clown duo in Toronto, <laughs> right. I think pretty good and and growing. But um, we'll do. We'll sometimes do sort of concentrated bursts, like when we were in Las Vegas and 
they're posting a lot and in Edinburgh having, you know, constantly blogging about what we were doing and but it's it's challenging and then you let it go and and you stop having people go to your website or follow you on yeah. Twitter. So it's as much, you know, you get as much out of it as you're willing to put in and that's mm-hmm. that's the tough and rewarding part about it. I'm interested in asking you about doubt and mm. the idea that particularly when you're trying to as I said before like sort of, you know, tread a new path. Yeah. Where there aren't loads of role models and stuff. And then so I'm interested how you feel about doubt, but then also you're so reliant on each other. If one of yeah. you has more doubts than the other, and do you, what kind of conversations do you have between the two of you around? Should we, are we going to keep going with this and what's next? And yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things is that we don't, that <laughs> like, you know, failure is not an option, like mm. giving up, has never really been on the table, and um, but Byron comes put in it on the table. But it must be, you know, I mean, it, when like you say, when you're the rain's coming down, you're in Edinburgh, you're trying to get people to come to a show, even though it's already an award-winning show, and you know yeah. it's great, and it's trying to get the numbers. Through. So, giving up isn't on the table in your minds, but it like the thought of doubt must be in your head oh, around doubt this. constantly yeah. constantly of course yes and that's that's i think that's sort of the balance is that there is constantly doubt but often because there i mean it's the two of us but it's also the three of us right. with byron yeah and if someone is feeling particularly down then usually even if two of us are feeling down then there's usually one who's going to prop so you have to hope that the three of you are not all down at the same time yeah although you know that said that can (laughs) we were we were creating a show a few years ago it was a 15 minute piece for this festival um which is an industry festival, a theater industry festival. So all these people from the theater industry were going to be there and sort of are, you know, amazing to be able to do something in front of all these artistic directors from all over the country and even from around the world. And we made this piece. It was a really cool challenge to create a site specific piece for this one space. Essentially there were 10 companies. It was a, a lottery, sort of a lottery drawn to see who would get which space in this building, not a theater space, just mm-hmm. a space. And so we wrote this piece and it was like then two days before. So we had a dress rehearsal the next day, which a bunch of people were going to come see as well. And it's 11, it's like 11 o'clock at night and we finally finished the script and we read it through and we all just... <laughs> looked at each other and our, we just sank. We just knew it was not good. And I think it was almost more reassuring, though, because my worry was, like, what if someone, what if one of us thinks this yeah, is what, really yeah, good? Yeah, two of you think it's great, and then... And then yeah. one thinks it's terrible. Um, we all knew that it was right. terrible. And so 11 o'clock, we had to just... We threw it out and started from started wow. from scratch. So... 
you know, there is, there are horror, and it was horrifying because it was like, all these people are going to come see us. We've been trying to get them to come see our shows for years. They're going to see us and they're going to see this awful, awful thing that we made. And then we ended up uh, making something different, which yeah. we, which we loved. Um, coming from a play, it ended up being about losing the play. It was a play about losing the play. Uh, and that's cool. our best work often comes from a place of honesty and where we're, where we're at. As so much comedy is about truth, right? It like is. It's a big thing. And, it absolutely yeah. is. It's like, what do we always like to say sort of, what do our souls need to say right now and make a piece about that? Yeah. Um, because if we're honest about where we're at in our own lives and we make something about that, then that can't be false because it's mm. a truth that we're experiencing. And then it's probably a truth that other people are experiencing as well. Yeah. Like our, our, our last show that we created was called more on Jasp nine to five. And it was about them starting a business and the business has a, has a name. It has a logo. It has a shiny office. It has a, you know, a slogan, it's got all these things, but it there's it doesn't have a product yet. Mm. So it's like an empty right. shell, and that came from our feeling of you know having um, the theater committed to us to putting on this show, and we were like, yeah, we're gonna have something amazing, and then this feeling of like having you know it's almost that Im- imposter fear that I think everyone has in some sense that you look like you have everything from the outside, but on the inside you're going, oh my God, yeah. oh my God, yeah. there's nothing. What if it's terrible? And so that was what the the show is about um, because it was reflecting, you know, initially the idea was that for it to be something different. Nine to five, they were starting this business about something else, but then we mm. went, no. And also that's what you guys are doing, right? So you are the nine to five, you're doing nine to five. And yeah creating things that don't exist yet and trying to get it to different places. Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And in terms of where that doubt comes from then, so what happens when you get a really bad, stinking review? And because it just made me think of that, when you know when you were... uh, The three three of you did the rehearsal and realised this is bad. Surely part of the fear is getting a... A bad a, review? A bad review or having bad, a bad critical reception sure. to it in some way. Like, how, how do you think about that and how do you mm. overcome that with something as daring and unusual as clowning? Because it's, like I said, it's not theatre, it's not yeah. comedy. It's, the medium is so different as well. I mean, I have to say we've never... It, it'll happen, but we've never had a panning review um it will happen at some point and Mm. and and i know that certain people have felt that way i know that there's a critic who saw a couple of our shows and didn't even write about them and and wrote in another review that she sort of liked this show but had seen one of our previous shows which she loathed which was actually (sighs) quite quite sort of generous and interesting choice not to write about yeah. it if yeah. she she loathed it so much i mean the fear the the fear of the bad review is the fear of someone telling other people not to go see it right um 
That's very logical, though. Yeah. Isn't the fear of the bad review that you are being personally criticised right. for your work and your your entire soul is being criticised? Right. That it, it's... Although that said, I mean, I we are extremely sensitive. That's part of why we are clowns. Is we're we're extremely sensitive souls. So if we mm. do read something, you know, there have there have been some reviews that talk about certain things negatively, and maybe are you know we got a we got a three star review in Edinburgh this summer. We were like, oh my gosh. However, the review <laughs> itself was fantastic we loved it and the reviewer talked about how the subject matter challenged her because Mm. she said sort of as a something about being like a bit of an i can't remember how she phrased it but something along the lines of an uptight brit being confronted with a tampon um because our show is about female puberty was challenging but that's kind of the the point is that we're and so the review itself I loved because she talked about, you know, that was sort of the only real negative thing she said was, mm. was that. My book editor has this little joke, which is um, sort of along the lines of an Amazon review. It's like, uh, this book changed my life. It's the most amazing thing I've ever read. You know, it completely challenged every form and structure and the concept was beautiful and does it at three stars. Right, yeah. yeah. And so there's that whole thing of the stars. The stars, and you can't do yeah. anything. In Edinburgh, you, you can't do anything with three stars. You just kind of <laughs> yeah. have to go, okay, well, I'm not going to... can't promote that. No because we'll see that. Yeah. yeah. Even though three stars means... Yeah, it's good. It it's should, yeah, yeah. should be a good thing. Yeah, it's, and it's it's kind of the... the with, with, our, with 9 to 5, this show that we did, which was our first main stage um show with a with a established theater company here which meant that the big papers the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail were going to review it and we got they they do a out of a four star system and we got three out of four stars in those shows which was you know a little hard for us because <laughs> at the fringe here we normally we off, I don't we often get five stars right okay um and so, but three out of four is pretty good for the for the star in the if Globe and Mail. If that was university. That's seventy five percent. That's a first. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, they came on the close to the opening when we were still on a. Yeah. You right. know, our shows are really. Um, I th- I think all theater is like this, but I feel like because we also use audience participation night to night, like we can have one night that's like we hit it out of the park and it feels amazing and there's a huge standing ovation and then we can have another night where it's like something just wasn't quite... Because it's such mm. a conversation um, between us and the audience. So if they decide that they're not going to laugh a lot, it's hard for us. We have yeah. to. We feel like we have to work a lot harder and, you know, it's... Uh, it's the audience's fault at the end of the day. No, it's not. <laughs> or, or we can have... I can have... You know, we can have a little off day... It's like our shows are so performance driven that, uh, you know, maybe there's something or maybe everyone in the audience that night just feels like it's not a great show, which yeah. is also totally their right, you know. So anyways, so, it's it's uh, but it's like it's such a public it's a it's a public report card. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's 
that's one of I guess the fears that that comes which, is which I struggle with that when you know when I put books out and and even just you know putting a video on YouTube and knowing there's going to be comments or people yeah. going to view that in certain ways or whatever and I think my my tactic to that is just try and not read them as much as possible so I'll yeah. go, I'll go on sometimes I need to go and share the link to my book on Amazon and I'll go and I'll find the page and I'll get the link in the URL whatever but I really try and stop my eyes from looking down right. the bottom <laughs> to, to, uh, the page. just don't read the bottom half of the internet right don't, don't read the comments is kind of my yeah way but I suppose it's difficult for you when it's like you have we're, to use that to we're be producing emotional and yeah if do. I'm performing as an actor mm. in another show because I also work as, a, yeah. as an actor um I don't read the reviews right. until the show is closed um, because it just it just messes with my head. Even if someone says something really nice, still, any sort yeah, of adjective yeah. to describe my performance is going to be in my head. Now, it's different. It's really different when it comes to Moro and Jasp because we've been playing those characters for so long I know that character really well. Um, and so if someone describes, you know, uses some sort of adjective, it's like, I already know, I already know that. But hmm. when you're doing a regular show, you've only had, you know, three weeks rehearsal, if you're lucky, to get to know that character, really. And so it's it's new, it's fresh, it's it's different. You're not as secure. But playing a character for 11 years, it's it's a different thing. And, and people don't tend to rip us apart right so before we finish because i i uh, came here to interview matt yes and, and this has been an amazing <laughs> amazing little bonus uh, thing for me to spend some time with you as well um he talked very briefly on the interview that i did with him wait i i'm kind of tempted to ask you your take on his whole like career crossroads things mm. with, with songs and seven and everything else yeah um uh, can we talk about that a little bit yeah absolutely um, so what do you think he should do right now? It's so hard because he has worked at a job where he gets a regular paycheck for 10 years. And it's so hard to do freelance. Um, and it's it's constant. And... So I think he's going between... But but that said, if he is passionate about something, like the way he would work on Songs in Seven was so hard, and he, and he loved it, you know? And there were days, like, <laughs> there were weeks where he'd go, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. And I would say, you say this every Friday. <laughs> right. Every Friday we go through this, and we have a big <laughs> talk, and I say... Come Sunday night, you're going to feel amazing and you're going to be invigorated for the week. Um, but it's it's hard. And, you know, for years he had talked about, like, he I, he probably mentioned this, that he would sort of say, like, well, I have to have the secure job because you are the, mm. you are the artist, you are the free spirit. And I would say, <laughs> not true. Obviously, yes, it's financially a lot more stable and we probably wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to buy a house if we were both artists but I said to him like that's not that's that's okay though like I I am okay with that and it was hard for him to take that in Mm. um I think 
um, because he wa- he wants to be able to be financially stable. And he's used to that. And it's hard to let go of that. And it's also hard to go, oh, I, I can do whatever I want. I am allowed to do that. Um, and, and so now I'm very much in a place of saying, I'm putting my, my everything where my mouth was all those years. You can do whatever you want. And I want him to do whatever that is. And if he does choose to go back to a nine-to-five job, I think it's important that he knows that that's his choice. Absolutely. Um, And if he does go back to a nine-to-five job, I think it's important that he keeps making art and being Mm -hmm. creative and performing um, because he needs that because he is, he is a performer. He is a musician. He is a comedian. Like he is all those things. And, and knowing for myself that when, when you, when you are those things and you're not doing them, it's not, things are not right with the universe. And, and so whatever he chooses to do, he has to keep those things going. And I'm sad about the end of the podcast. He knows this, and we've had. It's like the first we were in the kitchen when I first arrived, and I was like, "Oh, you're ending the podcast," and he was like, "Yeah, Amy thinks I shouldn't," and carry on. Yeah, he. <laughs> I'm glad he said that because it's hard. You know, I think it's it's hard for it was hard for him to hear me say that yeah. because I was away in Las Vegas when he he called. You know, one of his, but to me, it was one of his usual Friday. (laughs) I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm thinking of ending it. And I was, I was like heading out, like Heather and Byron were waiting for me. And I was kind of like, I, and I can't, I can't really talk about this right now, but you know, Hmm. as is, and then I listened to the podcast Sunday night and it's like, I'm ending songs. And I was like, he's done it. (laughs) And I was yeah, I was very upset. I was. Um, but I understand, of course, it's it's so much. And he wants to figure out what to do next. But yeah. in my mind, I was sort of like, well, keep doing songs in seven. And let's find a way, like, find a way for that to be your job. Because that should be your job. Because that is what you're meant to do. Oh, my gosh. A, a show where he's talking and being his hilarious self, making amazing music that is what like that is the perfect job for him and the parallel is what you described with the the cooking show that you guys did which is like you follow the thing that you think is yeah what you're supposed to be doing in the world and then you know and then the success comes from that yeah and so I think that that was my challenge with that is I kind of went why let go of something that is the thing that you should be doing but Knowing the answer to that, which is that he was uh, feeling a bit burnt out and he yeah. was feeling like he needed to focus on finding a job. <laughs> so I I get that. I do. But, you know, I, I also know the feeling of having a show opening date coming up and feeling <laughs> like you're absolutely not ready mm. and that you want to run away and throw up, which I did before, before we opened nine to five, I was throwing up in the mornings. <laughs> I was so nervous, which I've never done before, but it was like, I joked that it was like morning sickness for a very painful birth. That we gave. <laughs> um, 
so I understand that feeling, but that's why I'm sort of like, ah, you got to push through and you hit that point. But, you know, he was doing it on his own every week, which is different. I, I, I haven't had to do that. I haven't had to do a show every single week. And I also have collaborators to pull me up when I'm mm. feeling down. Yeah. And, and so I think part of me felt like, because I was away in Las Vegas, like I felt almost responsible too that I wasn't because normally oh, I would talk him who, through yeah, talks, those yeah, yeah. those tough times and go okay what if you know like this what if you look at it like this week you make your deadline for your podcast to be on Friday you have to you know finish it on Friday and that would work you know we just sort mm-hmm. of talk through different different ways to get through that different deadline psychology yeah and, and, and we talk a lot about constraints and the interview with him as well and just how constraints are really important to yes to something and, and that's kind of got that from you with the shows yes i'm a big i'm yeah. a big um advocate for setting deadlines yeah. for yourself because i joke that i'm a lazy person who schedules myself a very productive life but oh, then isn't that every productive person <laughs> ever though is it i, I always so. feel, i feel like there are some people but i think they are the rare breed who just go and create and I'm always like ah who are these like these amazing rare birds who just like write and write I mean one of our very good friends is a writer who writes and writes and doesn't often have his work uh, published or seen or but he just writes because he just for the process of, of writing for the enjoyment of it that's inspiring but I think so many people who are productive it's basically they're the people who realize they have enough self-awareness to realize that they're really lazy and then enough creative now to put in the tactics whether yeah. that's scheduling or something else to get over their own laziness right yes just, absolutely um, well my mom says to me when i was in grade nine i was i was at a pretty academically challenging school um and i got a role in a professional show and my mom was sort of like, are you sure? You know, my parents wanted to make sure I thought I could do everything, you know, because I'd have to miss a lot of school and do yeah. schoolwork outside of it. And I said, and she reminds me of this all the time, I said, mom, the more I do, the more I can do. Yeah. Um, it's totally true. And it's that, again, it's, that whole thing yeah. of if you want something done, ask a busy person. I think there's definitely a, a pattern of that. Yeah. And certainly lots of people I... I speak to about these issues. Yeah. So just before we finish, the proposal... Oh, yes. Uh, ...came <laughs> live on... Well, live on the podcast in terms of he used the podcast yes. to propose to you. So tell me your side of that story. Where, where were you when you heard it? And... Oh, my gosh. Well, I was here. I, I... I... It was very funny. I came home and I had been... <laughs> never done anything like this before, but someone asked me to do sort of an, an, an event for the day. They were doing like a Halloween event at a casino. And would I come and, and be one of these, a character to interact with guests? And I'd never done anything. I thought it would be fun. And um, so I spent the day at a casino playing a headless woman. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a brilliant costume. They had it so like my face was all white like a, a zombie. And there was this backpack that I had to wear that was like a body so it looked like right. I was holding my own head very smart and they brought me in because I'm short it 
helps with <laughs> that, you know, illusion. So I spent the day doing that, and I, Matt was kind of like, what time will we be home? And I was like, I think I'll be home, you know, 9 o'clock or so. And then after after we were done, we all ended up having dinner, and I was like, I'm going to have dinner, and then I'll be home after that. <laughs> And, so meanwhile, uh, he's recorded the podcast. Has it gone online at this point? No, no, it goes online on Sunday night by midnight. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, also, my cousin is coming to stay with us for the night, which he sometimes does. And uh, he, my, my, uh, Matt was like, "What t- what time is your cousin going to arrive?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, he says he's going to arrive at nine, but he's usually later." <laughs> Little do I know, Matt's sort of sweating about like wanting to make sure I'm home before my cousin gets there, yeah. so he doesn't walk in on this. So I arrive home at like eleven thirty, so late, and he's like, "I want you to hear the podcast before it goes out," which is not unusual. I often listen, give feedback um, before before it goes out, but right before we start, I go, um, "It's eleven thirty, so if I have feedback, what should I do?" Because mm. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, good point. Oh, well, just listen anyways. <laughs> and so I start listening. And in the episode, he's like, the beginning of it, he's talking for a, a long time, like telling jokes, but for a long time in my mind. And so I pause it and I'm like, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could get to the song a little faster. I feel like the intro is a little long today. And he's like, huh, okay, okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> You know, meanwhile, he's like, oh, my gosh, her cousin's going to be here. It's 1130. Yeah, got to get this out. And, like, he's getting ready to, you know, for for my proposal. And I'm giving him feedback on his podcast. And he's like, (laughs) good point. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, do you want to cut it now? He's like, no, 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 just keep listening. (laughs) And so I keep listening. And then the song comes on. And I've been asking Matt for years to write me a love song i'm like all i want is a love song for every birthday anniversary that's what i want um and so it's called the it says it's called your love song which is pretty perfectly titled because i've been saying i want a love you know my love song from you and so it's called your love song and so i start to cry and i think it's beautiful and i have this thought of oh my gosh this would be a perfect moment to propose but that's not going to happen like it was not going to happen in my mind so I listen to this song it's so beautiful and then it happens and and he turns me around in, in the chair because I'm sitting in his desk chair facing his computer screen and he's on his knee with the ring and it was amazing I honestly could not have dreamt up a more Aww. perfect thing and and being able to share it was was quite yeah. special and being able to listen to it again which obviously I did the next day I listened to it like How five times, times. Yeah, yeah. you know I've listened to it a few times <laughs> I listen to the song where you know I try not to listen to the proposal too much so it's not it doesn't get old or tired yeah. but it was very very beautiful and it was fun to fun to have that and we you know we didn't know I didn't know what that would feel like because we've been together for we've been together for 12 years before he proposed and so and I'd always kind of been about being getting engaged and getting married it's sort of like you know what I could do with or without but then we started talking more about about it and it became you know I, I think I realized that I did want it and and you know getting engaged was really 
wonderful. It was really yeah. fun. We both felt really good about it. So cool. Yeah, it was I, quite beautiful. I feel like if I had not asked you about that, there would have been people <laughs> listening to the previous podcast. Going, oh, ask her about it. was very to beautiful. To tell the story from your perspective. Yeah, and my my parents. He called my parents during the day to ask their permission. Oh. My dad apparently said, "You know, it's about time." Yeah. But jokingly. <laughs> yeah. And my mom, my mom told me after she sort of wondered, like, oh, will it be romantic? You know, it's not like at a beautiful restaurant. And then after she heard it, she said it was the most romantic proposal I could imagine. So it's quite beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And so I think that's just a lovely note to, to end the conversation <laughs> yeah. on. So, um, so thank you so much thank for you, clearing time just at such short notice. And um, you, you were going with the spontaneity there in terms of yes. Um, clearing the time I'd done no research on you as well so well it was a wonderful conversation but I had a lot of fun yes um, me so too thank you and we'll put loads of notes in in, uh, in the show notes in terms wonderful. of where they can find your uh, the video on clowning which I now want to go and watch oh yes of people on, on the streets of Toronto yeah it's pretty fun else. and uh, thank you again thank, thank you. you so much <laughs> So that's it for Amy Lee. There were so many things in there that I really loved, um, particularly her perspective on not not worrying too much about what the critics want or what you think the audience was. Just screw all that and just make the things that you think are great. And her observation that often their best stuff really comes from where they're not so focused on that sort of thing. And, you know, they really just focus on making good stuff for themselves. You know, I mean, I suppose it's very similar to... One of the things that people really love Steve Jobs for, right, which is, you know, his focus was never really on, like, let's think about what my competitors are doing or let's thinking, think about what our, our customers want right now. Like, his thing was always to make a thing that he thought was really great and then educate his audience, right? And I think that that's definitely something that is a very uh, special skill and a special vision. Like, if you have that, I think it's really important to just follow that through and just really focus on making stuff that you think is really great and just kind of going sometimes with your gut feel on those kind of things, I think is is a, is a really great lesson. Um, my other reflection was on just the importance of key relationships and the the importance of that in any success. I think there's a very old cliche, which sounds very sexist now, but that whole thing of like behind, uh, behind every successful man is a good wife or something, something like that, which feels very sexist, as I said. And, it, you know, obviously these things are true of all genders, caveat, caveat and all that stuff. But I think, you know, there is definitely something to be said for really making sure that those relationships are nurtured so that you have that that kind of uh, sense of stability I really got the sense from both Matt and Amy you know Amy was really helping Matt with some of those issues he was facing around his career crossroads uh, really felt like Matt was a, a very constant source of support for Amy when there were difficult times or long hours uh, that she was working in her, her clowning career and so I think you know it's one of those things that we uh, perhaps don't recognize enough and don't give enough credit really is some of that support that goes on behind the scenes in relationships and also kind of team relationships you know i think this is not just about re relationships in a romantic sense i think amy talked about uh the sort of trio of amy and heather as the as the clown duo plus byron the director and you know there's a small team of three people where all of you need to constantly be communicating with each other and making sure that your relationships are really healthy 
because you know you're the people who have to pick each other up and like keep each other motivated and have those very difficult conversations at points going like is this rubbish do we want to carry on doing this do we want to change this and all that sort of thing so i think you know there's some some very good lessons for me as a leader in that and um uh you know not so not necessarily just lessons but reminders in terms of you know really focusing on some of the more human aspects of of these things and making sure that you make time to build those relationships like away from the work sometimes because i think it's it's really important to just kind of get that sense of human to human rather than kind of yeah boss to employee or collaborator to collaborator or whatever those things are so yeah just a just a little reminder really of the importance of of nurturing some of those relationships um, the other thing i did was um uh, Amy mentioned the Mark Maron podcast uh, with Sasha Baron Cohen. I went back and listened to that, and that is so. If you enjoyed some of the the sort of technical and theoretical stuff about clowning that Amy talks about in this, go and listen to that Sasha Baron Cohen podcast. It is really, really fantastic. So Mark Maron, who does WTF, if you've never come across that, he he's just an internet phenomenon, and uh, probably to the extent that he really does not need me to plug him anymore. Uh, but like, yeah, the, the Mark Maron episode with Sasha Baron Cohen is really great. And um, if you want another Mark Maron podcast to go and listen to, uh, just as a, as a kind of intro, if you've never come across him, he, he interviews Barack Obama in his garage. He does all the interviews in his garage, which is kind of... I don't, I, don't think, I don't think he lives anywhere that's like particularly in the middle of a big city or something. I think he's quite sort of rural and remote. So he has all these like big celebrities and famous faces and important people all trekking out to his garage in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and yeah, and just finally, um, thanks to Mark Stedman from Bloomsbury Digital for... Uh, producing the show and if you want to find out more um, as i said moraandjasp.com you can find out more about what amy does uh, and my stuff you'll find at thinkproductive.co.uk thinkproductive.com and others around the world and if you want to email me graham at thinkproductive.co.uk and finally you will find show notes background info and all the previous episodes at www.getbeyondbusy.com so go and check out getbeyondbusy.com uh, please subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And we will be back onto a more normal schedule now. So the next one will be out two weeks on Thursday and then every other Thursday after that. So until then, thanks again for tuning in to Beyond Busy and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>